This is iFanboy Booksplode, Namor Visionaries, John Byrne, Volume 1. of Atlantis was an island which lay before the great flood in the area we now call the Atlantic Ocean. So great an area of land that from her western shore. Hello, welcome to my fanboy Booksplode, Namor Visionaries, John Byrne, Volume 1. My name is Connor Kilpatrick and I'm here with Josh Flanagan. Hey there. And we're here to talk about our final Booksplode of the year, the aforementioned Namor Visionaries, John Byrne, Volume 1. There will be spoilers for this old book, so keep that in mind. And thank you to the patrons at patreon.com slash ifanboy. They're the ones who unlocked uh, this Booksplode slash Talksplode series that we do every other month. So thanks. We enjoy doing this quite a bit. It's fun. Can I also add uh, Imperious Rex? Imperious Rex. So Same. Imperious we were Rex. trying to figure out what we wanted to do for the final, the final Booksplode of the year. We had another book we thought about doing. Uh, we decided not to do that one, but you know we were on a bit of a Namor kick. He was in the zeitgeist, he was in the culture, he was in the, the Black Panther movie, and we decided. I, I threw out the idea of doing the Namor the Submariner series that it came out in the '90s. I don't, Josh, you probably never read it, right? I read this as it came out. Oh, you did? Okay, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, and I hadn't, re- I hadn't returned to it since then. So we said that might be fun. We love Namor, so and John Byrne is a legend. So we're that's what we're doing. The Namor. Uh, Visionaries John Byrne Volume 1 <laughs> That's such a long title A uh, series encompasses the first Nine issues of The Namor series and if you Are a Marvel Unlimited Subscriber all the all tw- I think all 25 All 25 issues Are nope they're not all there But the first 18 issues are on there That'll, that'll get you through there What's that about <laughs> Should we finish them Nah it probably depends on what files they've got on hand and things like that. So, let's talk about the background of the book before we get into the book itself. This book came out in 1990. We were in junior high school. And Josh and I, before the show, were just going through sort of the arc of John Byrne's mainstream career. And this is this is the very end of it. Uh, he, you know, obviously broke out with Uncanny X-Men in 1977. He did that for a few years. The new one, Fantastic Four, did that for... Five years while he was doing that, he also did Alpha Flight. And, and then in 1985, he did She-Hulk. And then in 1986, he jumps over to DC, does the Man of Steel miniseries that reintroduces Superman after Crisis and Infinite Earths. And then he does the Legends event, which is the first post-crisis event at DC that sort of reestablishes the, universe, the DC universe, introduces Wonder Woman, and introduces the Justice League International team and sort of sort of sets that going. And then... He does two years on Superman, and so he sort of lives in that world for for two two years or so, and then goes back to Marvel, does West Coast Avengers, and in the nineteen eighty nine, in the next year, there was the debut of Namor, the Submariner, uh, followed by Iron Man. And then after that, he goes to his creator on work and doesn't really doesn't ever really return to his stature as one of the top artists in comics. So that's that's the sort of the arc of John Byrne's career. I was excited for Namor when I remember being excited for Namor. Do you remember at all how you felt at the time? I knew John Byrne at the time. I would say I started reading comics, I think, 88 or so. Okay. And I probably read them for about 
like heavily for maybe about three years. So this would have been towards the end of it. And I know I did not finish this, but I know that I bought it when it came out because right. I knew enough. I knew more about John Byrne than I did Namor, if that makes sense. Sure. I had been reading um, She-Hulk. Was that before this? That's what you just that, said. Right? She-Hulk was yeah. before this, yeah. Okay, so I had read through that and I had read West Coast Avengers and and I I recognized like, oh, this guy uh, is is one of the great artists. So I I was I was following the creator at at age uh, 12, 11, 13. That's, that's the same thought I just had while you were talking was that this might have been the first instance of me purely following the creator. And I knew Namor. I'd, I'd been reading longer than you. I, right. I was a fan of, you know, I'd read Fantastic Four comics. I liked the character, but I re- the reason I would have bought a yes. Namor the Submariner book was because John Byrne was doing it. So that was probably the first time. I mean, as a kid, looking back, I mean, we've talked a lot over the years about our history of reading and our favorite arts artists and things like that. I mean, I obviously was a big fan of Kevin McGuire doing Justice League at that time, and I was a big fan of George Perez. But um, if you had asked me who my favorite artist as a kid from the in the eighties while reading comics, it was certainly John Byrne. And so I was reading basically anything he was doing. And so I was like, "Oh, he's doing a Submariner Namor book. I'll read that." And that's that's almost exactly why I, I would have picked it up. Yeah, absolutely. So it was between him and McFarlane. Those are the two that I followed back then. And interestingly um, enough, if you look at the cover of the first issue, I mean that's basically right out of Superman. And it's almost it's almost yeah. a mirror image of his most of that famous shot of the final page of Man of Steel of him flying out of, out of the Kent's farm. Yeah. So I think that's very conscious. Um, fun fact: Do you know who took over for John Byrne after he left this book? Because it kept going. Eric Larson. I don't no, know. But someone not too. Someone who, as a, I uh, would have been twelve, but I would have been probably fourteen when it, when he took over. What is was. <laughs> Was made me go, oh, and now I left back on that laugh, and it was it was Jay Lee. No kidding. Jay Lee was the artist on Namor after John Byrne left. I think I did know that. Like, and it wasn't Jay Lee like, as you know him now. It right, was Jay Lee as, kind of thing. as sort of like a J- Jim Lee slash Will Spertacio clone, which is what he so, was in the beginning. Yeah. So Jay Jay Lee then uh, to Jay Lee now is like. Gabriel Hardman now to uh, Gordon Gecko then. Just a <laughs> right. different, it's different person. <laughs> different, different beast. But I was, you know, I, I, if you, if you, you know, John Byrne did it, I read it. So that's why, that's why I yeah. jumped in anymore. Um, and it was, uh, it was, I've, let's just, I mean, jumping in, it was really fun to go back and read this book. It, we've, I know we've been talking lately on the Pick of the Week show about the different in- way comic book storytelling has evolved over the years and, and why can't uh, why books don't feel like this anymore? And what it is that what is it does that exactly mean? Because I can't even put, really put my finger on it. But the idea of this ongoing story that felt like a soap opera, which more, much more than it does now, because that's what mm-hmm. comics always were. They were soap operas. It was the A B C plotline device, you know, of structure where you've got your A plot, your B plot, your C plot. The A plot wraps, B plot becomes A plot, C plot becomes B plot, and then there's a new C plot introduced, and it keeps going like that. That's how soap operas are written. That's how comics were written for a long time. And they're not anymore. Um, but I, I enjoyed this because it never felt like I was starting and stopping, even though each issue almost had a different A plot. It was that there was this ongoing saga of him and these twins who were in the background while still different threats and different characters almost every issue. I, li- I really like the structure of it. It's very similar to the people from uh, the Daredevil run recently, like the super rich people. Like yeah. that's more heightened, but it's it's still like like they're versus these people who are just rich people who are playing, which is very eighties to me. Like they were, yeah. 
like they've made all the money they were going to make and now they they just they would like to toy with people and and win over and over again um you know but in this sort of superhero world i mean like i had a lot of fun with it i'm not gonna say it was my favorite thing but the the because i had read it when i was a kid but i didn't really a i didn't really remember it but b i remember not really i want i remember wanting to like it a lot more than i liked it i did not like Mm -hmm. it i just you know like it didn't stick with me in any way other than looking at the art and 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 i think um i perhaps wasn't experienced or mature enough to really appreciate how ridiculous namor is (laughs) you know at that point because i i do feel like namor is i feel like as a little kid it's hard to get your head wrapped around what it is that's interesting or funny about that character yeah i mean and he can be a lot of things too i did like that i thought the 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 line here is that because we've seen namor as villain we've seen namor as hero he's been an avenger he's been you know he's fought for us in world war ii he you know has a home wrecker he is you know the the he's the enemy of of the service dwellers we've seen all these things and i like this version of it where it's like a grudging acceptance that there are surface dwellers, but mm-hmm. he doesn't wish them all harm. They're not all bad. He doesn't. He doesn't like. Right. They're not all bad. He doesn't really like them as a group, but uh, but you know, certain he, ones are okay. He, yeah, and 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 many of them, the comely females, <laughs> uh, he is. Uh, he's not at all uh, disinclined. Some towards. of the surface dwellers are bangable. He really was into banging. So I, what I liked about the cover of the first issue, first of all, Out of the Depths Into the 90s is a great tagline. But uh, if you look at the little corner box, the character box, he's in a suit, which is, you know, another sort of aspect of Namor is that he has this, sort of, he has this business. And that's, well, that's kind of the primary thrust of this story so, is Namor as businessman, which is an unusual take. I, that is what I always think of when I think of these issues. But he actually appears in a suit very, very infrequently. Well, it depends like, on what certainly not in the first issue, right? But he, you know, like dressed up as there's a party. He's at the party yes. in in a tuxedo. Other than that, he's pretty and much a disguise. Yeah, he's oh yeah, the, the beard, <laughs> <laughs> and somehow his hair, which it goes oh your hair's always slicked back. It's much longer than people realize. I was like, no, it's not that long. It's not that long. <laughs> it would go down his neck if it was that long. So it's true. Starting off. Um, and I, I tried to look this up, but I couldn't find it. it. It wasn't really important. It doesn't really matter. Is that everyone thinks Namor is dead because of a storyline happened previous to this book. And I couldn't find out what storyline that was. If you know, you can tell us, but it's not really a big deal. So everyone thinks he's dead. He's back. It doesn't say how or why. It doesn't really, it doesn't matter at all. He's back. He's, he, you know, he pops out of the water with all confused and in, in Hawaii and stumbles upon, or not Hawaii, or it's, it's, it's just uh, some island. Th- I was going to say, those look like Mayans to me, which is kind of... Ironic. Ironic. Yeah. The people that he fights in the beginning, they look exactly like the people who he's supposed to come from in, in uh, Wakanda Forever. Also, I hadn't so noticed it, that the page, yep. page, uh, the, the double page spread is almost the exact same shot as the cover. Yeah. But it's actually yeah. a little better because he comes out of the boat at the bottom. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. So then this, this, this father and daughter team who are out in the water, you know, sort of help him and rescue him. And, and that, that they become supporting characters in this story. Uh, one, one of the things I thought was really funny was, that like by issue three, he and the daughter are like in love, and I was like, "Are they? Have we seen them spend more than five minutes together?" No, it really totally happened off screen. You're not yeah. wrong. Uh, and so that's become sort of the family. Is is he's been revived? 
he's got this father daughter who are like salvagers and now he helps bring them he brings them into his corporation as an oracle is that what it's called mm-hmm. yep and then nemorita his cousin who is basically just supergirl uh is becomes part of the team as well so you've got this little like supporting cast group that runs throughout the the six the nine issue run um while they're being tormented by these this couple, not couple, kind of kind of creepily are a couple. Yeah. The uh, the Mars the Mars is Desmond and uh, Mark. What is her name? Margaret. Uh, I'm looking at the page. Phoebe. It's weird. To, Phoebe. It is weird to read a page where a character doesn't say the other character's name from back then. Desmond and Phoebe Mars. They're like this, you know, ultra rich, ultra creepy couple in New York who have decided they're going to uh you know mess with this new company oracle and namor and they become the, the antagonists and mostly because they're just bored and full of ennui and the opening shot of desmond is he's about to commit suicide with an antique revolver because he's that's, bored that's a very good entrance <laughs> and then like everything what, what is great about these as villains is that they are like they're completely fucked up yeah they have no motivation or redeemable they, qualities no, right. They're chaos and ego. It almost seems as if like Phoebe's kind of fallen for Namor, but it's it's like uh it's like Miss Tessmacher. Right. It's it's like she sees oh, a good Tessmacher. thing and she's surrounded by bad things, but you don't really buy it, you know. Right. I mean, I, there's certainly more good in her than her brother who seems to be a total sociopath, psychopath. Right. And and, and, and he's also threatening her constantly. So she's and got any any abuses or hits her a lot. And yeah, that's a lot of that in here which you you don't see anymore. Right, so then, you know, it makes sense that the name, you know, her, she's sent to go seduce Namor. She's kind of like, oh, well, this guy's actually kind of nice to me and doesn't hit me, so maybe I'll hang out with him. But it really is just just a, you know, the we we don't get the res, res, in this particular volume, you don't get the resolution of the Mars story, but you do get a lot of adventures throughout New York. There's the Griffin in issue two, which was a very cool sort of, you know, Burn is from the Kirby school. You, we've talked about before, like you can trace. A lot of these artists, you know, on a through line and, and big action, big brawny heroes. That's a you know, it's a Kirby set piece situation. Yeah. So the Griffin's a great character for for Burns art. It's this giant, you know, Griffin, and uh, that you know it was fun. You get these you know one or two issues of adventures with these characters. Uh, Fantastic Four show up. Iron Man shows up briefly. Uh, the Human Torch shows up. Um, was that it I- for? Major I mean, I, I think it's interesting because if you were to tell me, like, uh, hey, Josh, explain to me what the plot of this is. If you were to go buy this one volume there and it has these nine issues in it, what's the plot? Well, he comes out of the water after everybody thinks he's dead. Where was he? Why was he there? Who gives a shit? Uh, right. He he finds, he knows about many, many wrecks and scavenges in the ocean oh, yes. floor. That's right. And so he uses that money uh, to purchase a corporation. I don't remember why he wanted to purchase the corporation. I thought I think it was really it was funny. Like, he was like, hold on one second. And he jumped in the water and came back with a giant crate full of jewels. Yeah. So, like, he buys, like, basically a failing or defunct energy company, as far as I can tell. And they're, like, they were polluters of his ocean realm. Right. And one of the things that they're working on is a gigantic submarine tanker, I yes. believe. Yes. And... Uh, An underwater tanker, so that... You, they could more efficiently transport oil, so there was right. they wouldn't be subject to conditions on the surface, and 
storms and things. They could just do it in a giant submarine that was the size of three oil tankers. That's not going to be a problem. And you're like, you're like, why would he do this? But he does say, I'm only going to let it go the once, and then we're going to get rid of it. Um, He's going to dry dock it. He's going to show it to the press, and then they're going to get rid of it. Um, Which I liked. I thought that was kind of an interesting way to go. Um, Then, so you've got the other people. So that's as far as that got. Like, he started the company. Why he did it, what the goal was, I'm not sure yet. Well, I mean, there there was a lot, as there always is in these Namor, Aquaman, whatever books, a lot about environmental activism in these books, which is somewhat ahead of its time in the yes. 80s although you know. th- there was ecology stuff yeah there the was 70s. i'm just saying in a, sort of a mass in a mass way there was certainly earth day and people you know were beginning to recycle in the 80s but there was a lot here about how you know all the things that are that are happening on the surface that are destroying the the the, the not just the people of atlantis but also the the, the right. say wildlife but i guess the fish and so the the first bit is the Mars send the Griffin after him. The Griffin kidnaps the girl. He saves her. Uh, then she's, she, he's like, I love you. And she's like, I can't love you. I got to go somewhere. So she goes on a cruise <laughs> with her <laughs> uncle who, has a, who had a heart attack when the Griffin attacked. Yeah. While they're on that cruise, another beast composed of uh, garbage yes. and, and waste from the ocean. Sludge. S- with a J. L- S-L-U-J. He approaches New York. There is, prior to that, the submarine ruptures because of eco-terrorists, and he's almost drowned by oil. Which was cool, I thought. It was really cool. And that's that. the second half is better than the first half. Yeah, the the idea of Namor being like a fish who would get suffocated by the oil was, I was like, oh, shit, I don't remember that, and that's really an interesting concept. But, But the oil is unrelated to Sludge, who also seems to be made of oil. So I just made a garbage. He's like the he's in the garbage pack right, patch, but, which was still there right there in the eighties. The or, swirls in the Pacific, though, not the Atlantic. Well, maybe there's one in the Atlantic that I'm only sure there, knows I'm about. Sure, I'm sure there are. Um, I really like the the then the the sludge thing. It turns out there was there was mad scientists and they created a life form, but it turns out that there actually is a whole thing. Uh, which is also really fucked up. Like, I don't know. I, the stuff in here, I'm like, wow, they wouldn't do... We were talking about 80s comics and 90s yeah, they comics. Wouldn't do most of the stuff. They wouldn't do most of this. And it wasn't, like, so terrible. Well, it was pretty terrible. It, and it, and this really was for kids at the time. So I find that fascinating. Like, all comics are written... You know, all mainstream comics are pretty much written for adults now. But this shit is, like, psychosexual, messed up. Well, that kind of burns... That was kind of burns me. Yeah. Like, no, totally. But, but it, it's sold. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I thought there was it was a there was a fun un- unrelenting pace to it. Yes, where you know now where everything's written in six five to six issue arcs, and you know the characters are sort of spent half their time in in emotional torment about what they're going. This was just like an unrelenting barrage of crises that were thrown at Namor every issue. Of you can breathe now because you defeated the Griffin. Well, now here's this tanker disaster where you, and you get drowned in oil, and then you you survive that. Oh, but now here's the sludge monster. Like it was just never ending. It felt like episodic television right the soap opera yeah uh in the, there was there was some carryover sure you know uh, but but you could hop on at any episode slash issue and you'd be just fine although you might want to find out what happens next week um as the as the issue ends yeah i mean the um, carryover was the interpersonal stuff it was the uh his his romance out of nowhere with the, with the woman who saved mm-hmm. him it was the the villains the mars couple and even a bit of the oil stuff carried over, uh, and yep. the company stuff carried over. But for the most part, the villains, you know, you'd come around for one or two issues. Yeah, at the party for the tanker where the oil spill happens, you had Reed and Stu Richards, and you had Tony Stark, so Iron Man and 
and you know read the suit jump on and he had done fantastic four just a few years earlier so uh that was probably fun and he did iron man right after namor you know what what, that part was cool with it was interesting to see the idea that reed had a limit because he goes in and tries to catch all the oil in his Mm -hmm. body in like a pool and at some point he's like i'm stretched to the limit like at Mm -hmm. that point i guess he had limitations on his powers and then if someone's like, well, couldn't Sue do this better? She could probably lift it out of the water with her, you know, power. But I thought that was fun to see them all sort of working together like that, especially one since it's a love triangle situation. One of the things I dug actually is that the other people just happened to be at the party. They didn't know he was there. It right. wasn't like, like now everybody knows each other all the time. It was and like a society it, affair, you know, like right. it was New York society. So Fantastic Four were there and Tony Stark were there. Of course they were. They don't ever end up, they don't ever, that, this is how it used to always happen. But now it's, they all know each other. They're all, you know, there's no secrets about why they get together somewhere. But I, I love that idea that there was a New York who was like, whoa, Tony Stark's here. Because nobody knew who Tony Stark was. Right, because he was Why still nobody bodyguard. figured it out? Nobody <laughs> figuring out Tony Stark is way dumber than nobody figuring Superman out, by the way. Because <laughs> it's always like, yeah, my bodyguard. You know, right. <laughs> it's clearly, um, although I guess he could walk around next to him or whatever. But, but I, li- I liked that bit, that it was just like, you're here. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't just one, it was several. Um, and that Namor was there uh, in Mufti, as it were, uh, with his fantastic outfit. Um, and then, uh, you know, Namor gets his ankle wings cut off, which, which I was loved. Interesting. Yeah. Or, was they cut off, or were they... They yeah. melted off in they yeah. melted off in the sludge. They had to inject uh, serum to, into the sludge monster to, to sort of right. disable it. And in doing so, since it's the mute... Since Namor's a mutant and the Sludge Monster was a mutant, this serum apparently counteracted the mutant powers, and apparently the the wings were part of his mutant powers, so those sort of melt off his body, which was which was you know disturbing. And then Namorita spends the rest of the time wondering, what if that happens to me? Not concerned about him. What if I also lose my ankle wings? By the way, if she's a mutant, she has exactly the same mutation. Whatever. Doesn't matter. Yeah. I heard them also mention at one point, um, they mentioned uh, Atlantean eyebrows. I was like, that's why they look like that. And then you look at Namorita, and she has them also. I, yeah. didn't, I hadn't noticed that, but she's got the big archy eyebrows, which always make them look like you're asking a question and then leaning forward. <laughs> yes. And the final, the final arc was, you know, there was a lot of body horror in this. It was, it was sort of disturbing where yes. they're facing this, this woman. What was her name? Headhunter. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's revealed she's got all these heads on the wall. And she opens up the, the fake wall. You can see there's no bodies back there. And I was like, oh, shit. Because I, 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 remember, I remember moments and I remember imagery, but I didn't remember the details of the story. So I, I was going along for the ride in this like anybody else would be. And I remember the heads in the wall, but I didn't remember the, that they were, they were actually not severed heads. Because at one point, the cliffhangers that Namor's heads on the wall, too. And I was like, well, shit. Like, as a, as a yeah. 45-year-old reader, I was like, well, fuck. Uh, what's going to happen next? How are you going to get out worked. of this? It worked. Um, I thought, you know, I, w- I kind of wish it was just one volume. I would have liked to have read the whole 25. I know we couldn't have done 25 for the show, but I would like to have read all of them. Um, I just very sort of... much was about to, like, move along to the next ones. In fact, I will. I'm, I'm planning on just going to keep in reading it, but, sure. but I stopped before we got to it. But it it really was that, and this is a this is a, a, a benefit, not a drawback. This You could just keep going with this. You know, like, yeah, like I mean, I'm looking ahead. You're not going to get like, if, Iron if Fist you and go. Scrolls and everything. If you go and you pick this up, it's not yeah. you're not. It's not going to finish at the end of it, which which no, is what we're all yeah, very used no, to now. Right. So so you're just going to jump in for a while, 
And this one actually does end, but if you were reading like, you know, uh, a Thor comic, it would never end. Uh, but this one ended at 25. I love the solution to the the headhunters uh, thing. A, she she's white and pink and can't deal with light. None of that has anything to do with anything else. She's just, and then she's a some sort of corporate leader. And like, it's a lot of random things put together. But the solution to her thing is that, like it's a mirror trick, which is why you can't see their body. And I was like, why right. would you need to put that in? <laughs> Who's going to see that? <laughs> you wouldn't have to just don't show off their fake wall. And then the other the deal was that she, th- so the, one of the stories is that she meets a, a, some corporate leader who's done everything and, and needs to do the next thing. And, and she agrees to help him. But at the end of a given amount of time, like the devil makes an agreement that then she gets his head. And I was like, why would anyone make that deal? <laughs> what is the point of being a corporate success if, if in five years you have to lose your head? Right. It doesn't make any sense. I, this is not a complaint. People don't think ahead. I'm Hello. really bummed. I'm, I'm, I was looking ahead at the, the covers and issue 12 is an invaders reunion. I was like, oh, man. I wish that was in this one. Well, uh, you can keep going. I can't, I'm going to. Yeah, I'm trying to get to the. I'm trying to get to the uh, front, so I could, because we should credit the entire team here, because it's mostly the same team throughout the book. Um, oh, it's not on here. Oh, it is on here. So it's uh, John Byrne re- wrote and drew it, obviously. Oh, Bob Weak did the first issue. He didn't keep inking it. Someone else I, I noticed was in the we inker after that. Glennis Oliver oh, was checked. the colors. I, re- I remember that name from comics, and Ken Lopez was the letterer, and this was a Tom DeFalco. Well, he was the editor-in-chief at the time. Terry Cavanaugh was the editor on this. Okay, so Wyacek inked through the first three, and then Byrne took over as inker. And it, it has long been an assertion of mine, and I still believe that John Byrne is almost always better when somebody else inks him. Um, he inks himself too sketchy, I think. And when, mm. when he puts a nice, clean Terry Austin line on it, Maybe it was later it that he started, he started doing that. Because I didn't really notice it too much of a difference. I noticed it a little. I, I saw it like after the fact that he was thinking, and I was like, and I looked at the page. I was like, oh, I can see it. It's just it, when I say it's worse or better, it's totally subjective. Like, yeah, sure, he's the artist; he can make it look exactly as he wants to. But I, I like it when the inking on him is super clean, uh, which is what I think about what comics look like from this era. You know, like at the time, that was the first time that I saw. Um, Bill Sienkiewicz and I was like mm-hmm. what is this awful crap you know well, that's like, the same that's thing that's not what I was the... into back then right that's my Jay Lee reaction I was like ah what right. is happening <laughs> um, let's talk like let's talk about Namor we've talked about him a, a bunch in the comics lately and on, on the Wakanda Forever review as you said in the beginning this is like a fun Namor that exists in the middle of all the Namors right he's 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 still the well he actually is not the he's, he's the deposed king of Atlantis in this story he's, he's uh, not in charge but, but he's cool he with is, it. It's not like his mission here is to get back in charge. Right. I don't think. No, and he you know, exists on the surface world, sort of uh, at, in tension with them, uh, but he has friends there. He has people he is romantically involved with, but he's still at his heart is Namor. He's arrogant. Uh, he's, he's confident. Um, he walks around in his little green underwears. And the women love it, let's be clear. Every woman he comes across is like, who's this hunk in the green trunks? Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, this is a fun name where I like him as 
I like all kinds of Namors. I like pure villain Namor, but I also like this kind of anti-hero. Like this is like your prototypical anti-hero. He's not necessarily a bad guy, but he has his he has his values, and they may run contrary to what our values are because he's he comes from a different place. So and one of my we, favorite one of my favorite panels in the whole thing, which I think uh, uh, explains this and, and illustrates it, is that. He saves some people on a dock. I don't remember if it's a helicopter or crash or whatever, but he sees they need help and he's flying by and he's like, all right, I might as well help them. And he flies away and they yell, thanks, Namor. If there's anything we can do to repay you, and his thought balloon is unlikely, and he just flies away. <laughs> like he doesn't <laughs> care. He doesn't right. want anything from them. He doesn't respect them. He, he just, ju- but he's like, superheroism. I did the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not evil. He does no. not wish them... He tried to help them, but, you know, he does no respect. Unlikely. It's great. I mean, it's fun. I, I mean, I'm really, it's not like the best book in the world. I'm not going to tell everyone, oh, no. man, this is like a forgotten classic. But it's a solid Marvel comic from an era in which they did it, you know, better than anybody. And had people and, like John And it's John a great Byrne. example. Yeah. It's a great example of that era. I think, and also sort of the tail end of it, because this is this is going to quickly turn into the the first boom and bust. Well, you look, know, this is you uh, know people talk about eighties comics, nineties comics. This was technically a nineties comic, but it, it's still an eighties comic. I mean, you know, things this, don't this change the, with with the calendar page turn. Like fashion doesn't change when it comes nineteen seventy. It's still the sixties fashion. It, this was still the tail end of the eighties way of making comics. And, right, and and over at the X Men book right now, people are just getting to know Jim Lee. You know, and 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 those guys were all going to shake everything up and change it. Yeah, I mean, they've been there so for years. Is, he, he, he came out in '87, right? Yeah, but I mean, either way, like it's this is where the crossover is happening, which which I like because it's just an interesting time. Which, you know, like, which is interesting because this is me, his way out. You know, this is this was sort of yeah. you know he's he's on he's only got when this book starts he's only around Marvel for four more years and that's basically it for his mainstream career. He comes back mm-hmm. for Spider Man Chapter One, but that was kind of a disaster, and then he doesn't really come back again. He still got to do all so this 12. This is like this is like thir- <laughs> this is this book starts his 13th year as a big deal comic book artist which started in 1977 with the X-Men. And this I is sort of the of it. I wonder if he made more money on Next Men. Maybe because of the way the things were time. going back then. Yeah. Yeah. I, I bet he did. He owned it, so that's like a different thing. But this is—it is interesting to see, like, to chart his career because I hadn't really written it all out before to see sort of, where, you know, where it went and where it started and when it ended, and you know, it was sort of like an artist who was so important to my childhood comic book reading basically disappeared while we were in high school, and you know, it's irrelevant. I mean, I read Next Men. I was going to say, were you were you following that stuff? I read, I read, you know, I read an X Men. It was clearly a X Men ripoff. I mean, it's in the fucking title. Um, <laughs> but you know, it wasn't. It had nudity and it was edgy. But uh, huh. it, you know, I didn't enjoy it as much. I as, feel like he's one of those guys where um, there's and there's there's characters like this. Certainly, used to be more. Is that some people are made to do stories, whether they're um, licensed or creator-owned, and some people are made to do creator-owned, and some people are just made to do the company work. And I think that he's like he's a company work guy. Like I, he he shined when he got to put his imprint on these characters that he knew really well and grew up with. 
Well, honestly, like he, it's, it's it's not any different than most of what came out of the the original image books, which is almost all the not all of them, but almost all of them were basically just here's what we did at Marvel, but just slightly different. Mm-hmm. And that's you know that was what Wildcats was, that's what Cyberforce was, that's what Young Blood was, uh-huh. not what Savage Dragon yeah. was, and not what Shadowhawk was, but that for the most part, that's what it was. It, it would have been no different. It would not it would not have been strange to see it alongside of Wildcats coming out from Image and, you know, during that time. Mm-hmm. But, I just think of him, he, he wasn't old, but I think of him as an older generation of it, for whatever reason. He, he's probably older than them. He's people are 10 years older than they were. Probably, right? but I mean, my, my, I guess my thing is, like, he clearly comes out of the Kirby era as yep. opposed to a later era. Uh, he, you know, you can tell in the work that he grew up with Stan and Jack's Marvel comics. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, Roy Thomas, you know, he's the next along the line. And he, and he wrote and drew. I don't, I don't think anybody did that quite as well as him. Not, during that not a period. ton, yeah. I'm trying to think of a, another, right? I mean, Frank Miller, but he wasn't nearly as prolific. Well, at that time, Frank Miller had basic, well, he's about to basically transfer entirely over to Dark Horse and do Sin City. So mm-hmm. at the time, it was like they had Frank Miller doing Sin City. They had John Byrne doing Next Men. They had Mike Mignola doing Hellboy. And that was sort of, I want to say, more mature version but, of Image, but it was more like it was a different kind of comics than Image was doing. But Frank Miller wasn't doing like Workaday Ongoings, which no, is what John no. Byrne's thing was. Right. Frank Miller went and he did a prestige project, which was self-contained. Byrne like did the mainstream ongoing in continuity long runs. Right. Oh, for sure. Writing and drawing, which is did five just, years of Fantastic Four. That's amazing. It's, you know, and, and it's sta- like pe- people talk about it still yeah. and you see those covers when you close your, your eyes, you know, and you, you think about it. Like if you say to me like Fantastic Four and I, I close my eyes, I'm going to think of a Kirby cover first, but after that, I'm going to think of a John Byrne cover. Like mm-hmm. I just, that's what it's going to be. Yeah, those are his, his Fantastic Four and X Men were his two longest runs, and X Men wasn't as long as you think. It was only four years. All right, and if I say X Men to you, I say John Byrne X Men to you. What do you see? Uh, I see Wolverine coming out of the Wolverine. sewer. Yep, exactly. Yeah, and then I also see Wolverine reading an issue of Penthouse <laughs> <laughs> with everyone else around <laughs> as they look for a little girl, thirteen year old. Thirteen-year-old sidekick. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see this. Is I mean, at the tail end of his, he still got it. I mean, this is still sure. really well done from a craft standpoint. This is a, you know, fun. It's well written. It's he's still got the art. It's bomb. It's big. It's bombastic. It's got action. It's got character stuff. I mean, he's still got it here. Well, if there's a there's a there's really good page turns in this. So the la- the one before Sludge shows up, the last thing is you see this gigantic garbage hand come up out of the water. Yes. It's huge because he, uh, the he scale the of the character is massive. Yeah, and then and then as you come into the next issue, um, it's sort of Manhattan getting flooded um, in a couple of pages. So he's got that scale thing that I always like to talk about going really well. Um, I I think that I think it would be great if more current comic book artists used this stuff not fully but like incorporated some of it it mm-hmm. got it, things got really cool for a while and they got design based and they got i want i want to see more of this you know this this uh, roland emmerich 
<laughs> uh, comic book paging. You know, I, well, it's I think... tough because you have fewer pages than Byrne yeah. had to work with, so you you don't get you don't you know when's the last time you saw like a true splash page? It hardly ever happened anymore because they need those that real estate for for lots of panels. So like they don't get the ability to open with a splash page or close with a big splash page. Like it's it's very rare. It doesn't it's not. It does not happen, but it doesn't happen mm-hmm. nearly as much as that used to be the de rigueur thing was you open the book to the splash page. That's what it was called. It was a big image. So they don't have that anymore. And then when you're just when you're writing a six five to six issue arc every time, it's a different it's a different pacing than this is. Yeah. This is a relentless issue to issue, as you said, episodic pacing that just doesn't doesn't work in the trade format the way it's written and drawn now. Yeah. I think that this scratches the, you know, we've got the t-shirt, we've got the gosh, good old superheroes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is it. This is, like, well, what's gosh? What's good old superheroes? Here's this Namor series. <laughs> this is what this is what I'm talking about. Right. It's uncomfortable. It's bombastic. It's, it's definitely of a different time. It's quite silly. It's, there's no one, you know, he's following the Grant Morrison rule. We're not worrying about how they fueled up the oh, giant no. under underwater uh, tanker submarine, right. like it's it's not it's not an issue. Like, Hell, how are they, they running this corporation <laughs> if they're completely insane? And he's beating up his sister. <laughs> not a problem, right? How when, when did Namor fall in love with this woman? That doesn't matter. Why does Namor want to run this corporation? <laughs> it doesn't matter. I think they probably said in the beginning. I don't remember. Maybe, but it didn't but, stick. <laughs> well, he's got all this money. He might as well. <clears throat> oh yeah, I'll be right back. Hold on. Comes back with a bunch of rubies, <laughs> emeralds. Um, I just I had a great time. I really fl- I flew through this. Yeah, in, you know, in a way you think, oh, it's going to be nine '80s com '80s comics. It's going to take a while. You know, a lot of dialogue, a lot of pages. But no, I flew through it. And, and it was and it was like, yeah, I'll do one more. <laughs> it really was. Yeah, that's I, exactly what happened. Yeah, um, the, because they're fun uh, the Marvel- and they they're written that way to get you to go, what what's going to happen next? Because there's a big cliffhanger yeah. every time. Oddly enough, the the Marvel Unlimited um, app is really good to go to the next issue. You finish it and, and it flips over. Like, you want to read the next one now? And I was like, I do. <laughs> it's very, yeah. it, you know, like it's very compelling in that way. It's it's done really well. Yeah, I it worked even, that it's it's yeah. it's harder to scroll through series, but like it was from an issue to issue basis, it was very easy to be like, oh yeah, yeah I do want to read really one more. Fun. I got yeah, another. It's right there. Yeah, like it's not. You don't have to buy it if you've already got this the subscription. You're good. So yeah, so I mean, Namor, Visionaries, John Byrne, Volume One, super fun. Um, Are we supposed to rate these? I forget. Ah, uh, sure, why not? Uh, ratings out of five. Ratings out of five stars. Uh, I'm giving it a solid four. Yeah, I was gonna say four. It's a super fun book from a legitimate industry legend, one of the top, certainly top ten most important people who worked in comics. Um, mm-hmm. l- he ruled an entire decade of the comic industry. I uh, I know that it is it is unrealistic to expect that this would have been the Namor that showed up in the Wakanda Forever sure. um, movie. No, well, he wouldn't have fit in. But it is what I wanted. I don't <laughs> think I wanted him in that. But that's what I was getting at. Like I didn't want him in that movie. I wanted I wanted the cheapest possible TV show with this character. Yeah. Like I I would have been fine. Just a wet guy walking around in his panties. <laughs> it would have been funny if he was just always wet. It would be good. just drip drip drip. There was also one of my favorite scenes in this book was when he was having a conversation with Nemorita while he was in the pool. 
Mm-hmm. And she just sort of got in her hands and knees and stuck her head in the water. And then there was an <laughs> overhead shot of it. It was just so bizarre looking. It was yeah. Just, it, was, it, it was just uh, it was just fun. It was really fun. I, I get the sense, and this is, this is probably a, a John Byrne thing, but probably others too, is that I feel like a lot of this existed, elements of it and even larger pieces of it, because it amused him. And because of who he was, because of the way comics work, then he was able to do so. You know, like, like I'm going to put this weird, like, I'm guessing this book says a lot about him in ways that you do not know. Oh, As I mean, all of his work does, yeah. I think. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like the, I mean, if you want to think about, I, I don't know, the rumors, whatever, but, uh, you know, he, I, I understand him as being a bombastic personality. And it's like, well, who is better than Namor for this kind of thing? Oh, you perfect know? for him. <laughs> like, yeah incredibly talented um you know prolific uh not super uh empathetic perhaps you know i'll tell you what like i am i am great (laughs) i certainly read a lot of the fantastic four books he did i didn't read them all i wasn't a regular collector of fantastic four i mean it started in 81 i was uh four but Mm -hmm. um I talked. I talk a lot about wanting to read Peter David's Hulk run, but I would. I, I would love to just sit down and blow through his Fantastic Four run, John Burns, because I bet I there's a lot of great Namor in there too. And Doom. I would want to read Think that about before. Doom. Yeah, no, it's exactly right. I would want to read Namor before I'd want to read the Hulk run, or not Namor, Fantastic sure, Four. I mean, sure, absolutely, hundred percent. Because I don't think I have read it. I can picture it. I can see it. He draws them perfectly. Like that's what they should look like. <laughs> that's that's actually how I picture like in my head, and partially, yeah, no, that for sure, not partially. That's that's exactly how I picture them in my head. You picture Fantastic Four in your head. I picture John Burns in Fantastic Four. Absolutely. But I mean, God, I mean, I've I've read, I definitely read Man of Steel. I've read Legends. I've read Superman. I've read a good portion of West Coast Avengers. I read a good portion of She Hulk. I don't think I read very much Alpha Flight, and I've read a good portion of the X Men. So I think really the, the big hole for me with Burn is Fantastic Four. You'd get one of them big books. Get one of them big books. That's probably a John Byrne omnibus. Yeah, it's probably if all get, in this if Marvel. I bring one more omnibus, omnibus into this house, I'm going to get evicted. I mean, the, the structural <laughs> structural issues we're not even discussing. <laughs> if you hear any creaking, that's just from the omnibuses in yep. the background. All right, so that that was our books final book of the year. Again, thanks you to the patrons at Patreon.com/slash/Family who supported us uh, through all throughout the year. They're the ones who unlocked the Booksplode Talksplode combo. We alternate months between the Talksplode interview show and the Booksplode review show where we talk about a collection like this. Uh, we'll be back in, obviously, in January with a new episode. And in the meantime, you can listen to our Pick of the Week show where Josh and I and sometimes special guests review the week's comics. We have our monthly Media Splode show that was also unlocked by the patrons that we talk about non-comics media. All kinds of fun stuff happening there. If you want to be a patron supporter, patreon.com slash fanboy. We thank you for doing that. And we'll be back next time with the books blow in February. Don't know what it'll be, but hopefully it's as fun as this one. Until then, I'm Connor. I'm Josh. Thanks much. Also Imperious Rex. Imperious Rex. She made me